This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk to me, sleep. Slayton and his team are dead. You're in command now, Antonov. I said as we put Jordan down in the medical bay. What are our orders? Antonov mulled the question over as he checked out Jordan's wound. We'd managed to stop most of the bleeding, but he'd lost a substantial amount of blood. His type was listed on his name tag, but only Leonard was a suitable match. Without readily available blood on board, he'd have to serve as a live donor. Stay with Jordan and Leonard, Antonov told me. Luis and Sandra, you are with me. We are getting off this fucking asteroid. As the only one with actual medical training in human medicine, I was left to make sure both Leonard and Jordan remained stable. In the meantime, Antonov would help the crew take off, hoping to establish contact with ground control, who weren't expecting a call for another three days. How are we going to deal with that thing? Leonard asked. We can't bring it back to Earth. I don't know. I don't understand how it got out of the airlock in the first place. We'll check the security footage once we've taken off. No point dwelling on it until we have factual answers. Leonard sighed after a moment of silence. We sat in silence as we waited for Jordan to wake up, keeping an eye on his vital signs. He seemed stable, with his blood pressure slowly normalizing as he received Leonard's blood. Then we felt all of Helia start to vibrate as the engines activated. Jordan finally regained consciousness again, weakly trying to talk. We're moving, Jordan whispered, barely audible over the hum of the engines. Yeah, we're going home, I said. What about the alien? He asked. We're dealing with it, was all I could think to respond. We can't bring it back to Earth, Abel. We have to destroy it. We all knew it, and it awoke a horrific realization. If the creature could not be dealt with, we would have to destroy the ship and ourselves. Making it home was far from a certainty, but we hadn't lost hope yet. Still, once we'd returned to the cold void of space, I felt a hint of relief. Despite our unwelcome guest, we were safe from the rest of the fossilized creatures back on the asteroid. Once I'd stitched Jordan up to the best of my ability, I gave him a mild sedative and a pain reliever. I had to check the ship's security footage, and with Jordan out of any immediate danger, I left him alone with Leonard. It was time to learn exactly what we were dealing with. Though I dreaded the sight of their brutal deaths, knowing what the invader did to Sophia, we had to figure out what went wrong and how to deal with it should it happen again. So, I headed back towards the bridge, walking by the isolated, blood-covered door to the laboratories. While the creature seemed to have consumed most of Sophia's remains, some bone fragments and dried out blood still remained. As I entered the bridge, I could hear Antonov desperately broadcasting an emergency message, knowing our earliest response would arrive in just under an hour. This is Helios III, current commander Antonov speaking. Quint Slayton is dead, seeking immediate advice. We have found extraterrestrial life on Psyche 16. 
and it has boarded our ship. I repeat, we have an extraterrestrial hostile life form aboard Helios 3. Please advise. The asteroid was already on its way out of our sight, turning to a small dot in the distance as we slowly made progress back towards Earth. The journey would take six months, even at the impressive speeds our ship was capable of. An ample amount of time to either destroy ourselves and the creature, or come up with a viable solution. Now we wait, Antonov said. Why don't we check the security footage? I asked. He nodded. It was already loaded on the screens, but none had been brave enough to actually start viewing it. Together, then, he said. We gathered around the screen, ready to finally learn exactly what had happened during our absence, and to see the final moments of our crew, our friends. We accessed footage from the laboratories and its accompanying airlock. The presumed fossil had been stored inside, kept in a vacuum at freezing temperatures close to minus 100 degrees Celsius. While it was still substantially warmer than the temperatures on the asteroid's surface, nothing should have been able to survive such an extreme climate. Sophia stood in front of the airlock, staring at the fossil within. She seemed upset that she wouldn't get to study the creature up close, left with only her imagination to come up with the nature of the extraterrestrial being and its origin. We forwarded the clip a couple of hours, seeing little more than routine work being done around the lab, only interrupted when Sophia once again stood in front of the airlock, this time with a horrified expression on her face. After a moment of contemplation, she rushed to the radio, immediately contacting the bridge. Commander Slayton, we have a problem. The fossil, it's, it's melting. She explained as if she couldn't quite believe it herself. Sure enough, the rock surrounding the actual life form seemed to just be melting away. Whatever substance the mineral was made from, it had an exceptionally low melting point, unlike anything seen naturally back on Earth. Slayton arrived alongside Lance to check on the situation, both equally shocked to see the being resting on the floor, free from its encasing rock. Wait a minute, is that thing moving? Lance asked after a moment of observation. No, 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 that's impossible, Sophia said, not believing it before seeing it with her own eyes. Holy shit! Slayton stood frozen by their side, letting a few seconds pass before his training kicked in finally taking charge of the situation. Eject the airlock. We're not risking having an extraterrestrial life form aboard. But, Commander... Sophia tried to interject, but Slayton wouldn't have it. That's an order. We're not equipped for this. Vent the airlock, now. Yes, sir. Sophia said, defeated, but realizing the dangers of bringing a potentially invasive species back to Earth. Venting an occupied airlock was not an easy procedure and required an override code as well as two personnel to execute, mainly to prevent accidental ejection while occupied by our crew members. While the system could tell the difference between organic and inorganic matter, it did not differentiate between species. As Lance and Sophia dealt with the ejection protocols, the creature seemed to wake up from its dormant state. It shot its many limbs out and flung them around the room as if it was sensing its surroundings. With no escape in sight, it directed its attention towards the outer door of the airlock. It must have sensed the temperature difference on the outside because the idea of facing the cold surface of the asteroid seemed to infuriate it. Wait, what 
Lance asked. Is it trying to escape? Sophia asked back. It dragged its limb around the seams of the door, breaking off parts of itself to form a biological seal. By the time our crew managed to unlock the outer door, an alarm sounded, alerting the crew to a faulty airlock. It locked itself in. We can't eject it, Sophia said, panic rising in her voice. How the fuck did it know how to do that? Lance asked, equally horrified. Once it had secured its presence aboard the ship, it started splitting off parts of its own limbs. Each shredded part slithered along the walls, looking for any escape. Once one of them discovered the inner airlock, it latched itself onto it, flattening out until its flesh covered the entirety of the door's surface. Commander, what are we gonna do? Incinerate it, he said as confidently as he could. Theoretically, the entire ship had the ability to destroy all of its content, but only two were ready, both of them airlocks. The procedure emitted high enough temperatures and radiation for terminal disinfection without posing a threat to the crew within the safe areas. It'll take time to override the system, Lance said. We don't have another choice. More and more of the creature's limbs formed upon the glass wall as they worked on the system. Can it get through? Lance asked. Not a chance. It's a polycarbonate glass, Sophia said. How long until terminal sterilization? Slayton interrupted. Two minutes, Sophia said. Once overridden, they didn't hesitate to pull the trigger. Within 60 seconds, the temperatures within were high enough to combust any known organic material. The creature let out a horrific shriek from an unseen mouth. At the same time, it started shaking and twitching, clearly in pain, but not dying. How the fuck is that thing still alive? Lance asked in shock. A crack appeared in the glass, an almost impossible feat. But the combined, tearing strain of the creature in addition to the heat proved just enough to break the airlock. We have to get out! Slayton began, getting cut off as the glass shattered. Without the glass holding the heat in, it blew through the laboratory, tearing through equipment and crew. Slayton and Sophia were flung to the side, hurt but still mobile, while Lance got the worst of the heat and shards of glass. He was dead before even hitting the ground, shredded by glass and burned in the blast. Slayton was the first to get back to his feet, tending to Sophia as the creature dragged itself out from the broken airlock, intact, but weakened by the process. It made its way to Lance's body, wrapping its many limbs around him, cutting through his body like butter. We have to go, Slayton ordered, pulling Sophia up from the floor. They limped out from the laboratory, calling for Jordan to put the sector on lockdown. But in the chaos, nothing could be heard over the comms. By the time they reached the bridge, the creature had consumed the entirety of Lance's body, leaving behind little more than specks of blood and a few bone fragments. What the fuck happened? Jordan asked as he met the wounded crew. Where's Lance? Lance is dead. Slayton groaned. Put the laboratory on lockdown. I can't. The explosion damaged the automated systems. Jordan argued. Can you fix it? Sophia asked. Not from here. Glass doors can be pulled down manually, and then I can lock them from here, though. Do it. Slayton ordered. I'll get to the doors. Sophia, there's a weapons cache in one of the storage crates, number 42. The code is... They were interrupted by another loud shriek coming from just down the hall. The creature had finished feasting on Lance's body, moving on to its next target. Having just fed, it moved at a far greater speed, extending its limbs across the room essentially throwing itself forward. Before the crew could even react, it had reached the bridge. 
It attacked Jordan first, slicing straight through his left side, cutting the flesh as if it were nothing. He fell to the ground in agony, desperately trying to stop the bleeding. Next, it jumped for Slayton, slicing his arm without incapacitating him. It swung its limbs again, but this time Slayton ducked under it. He was going for the laboratory, but not before slinging a chair at the creature. You want this, huh? He yelled. He seemed to have the creature's attention, leading it away from the bridge, back into the laboratory. Come and get it, Dad! As Slayton vanished down the hall with the creature, Jordan and Sophia had a brief window of opportunity to lock down the lab. Close the blast doors! Jordan begged. But Slayton is still in there! I know, but it's our only chance. He would want us to take it. Come on, I can't make it there myself. Slayton let out an agonized yelp as the creature got to him, cutting through his torso, killing him in an instant. It didn't even bother to consume him. Instead, it started making its way back to the bridge, ready to finish off the rest of the crew. With the blast damaging the automated systems, Sophia could only close the doors manually. She rushed to the laboratory blast door, unlatching and pulling it down just as the creature reached it. She let the door fall, but the thing got a hold of her leg, pulling Sophia towards itself just as the door closed and locked in place. She was trapped inside the lab with the creature, with no means of escape. Sophia! Jordan called from the bridge, unable to get up due to the injury. He pulled himself to the chair, climbing up onto it with all of his remaining strength, finally reaching the comms, which had been damaged in the fight, soaked in blood. In the meantime, Sophia remained alive on the other side, standing in front of a being that could have ended her existence in mere seconds. Yet it just stood there, not bothering to touch her. Sophia, where are you? He called over the comms. I'm in the lab, she responded meekly. And the thing? With me. Jordan said. But Sophia had already figured out why her life had been spared. The thing was using her as bait, waiting for someone to open the doors, allowing them both to escape. No, you can't. If you open the doors, we'll all die. You can't just sacrifice yourself. I'll call Antonov. We'll get weapons. We'll save you. Don't give up, please. With that, Jordan sent out a distress call, his words getting weaker as his strength drained finally rendering him unconscious. All the while, Sophia was standing by, waiting for her inevitable death. That's enough, Antonov ordered, pausing the footage. What now? Sandra asked. We can't bring this thing back to Earth, he said with as much authority as he could muster. We have to kill it. How? I don't know. We flicked through the live feed, but the creature was nowhere to be found presumably hiding in the ventilation system or areas with non-functional cameras. Before we could explore the ship any further, we were interrupted by Leonard, calling from the med bay. Somebody, help! Jordan, stop breathing! He yelled. Without hesitation, we rushed over to the med bay. I knew I'd left Jordan fixed up and stable, so I figured he was having a reaction to the blood. If the type was wrong, there was little we could do to save him, and it would be my fault. He just started coughing up blood, then he went limp, Leonard said as we finally reached them. I didn't do anything. Move aside, I ordered as I checked for any vital signs. Jordan lay there, pale. Even based solely on his appearance, I could tell it wasn't a reaction from the donated blood. Instead, 
It was as if someone had drained the entirety of the blood from his body. He was clearly dead, without a chance of resuscitation. What the hell happened? Antonov asked. He... he bled out, I explained, though I couldn't quite believe it myself. Bled out? Antonov asked again. Then where's the blood? It was a question I was asking myself, and as I thoroughly examined the man, I confirmed that I had, in fact, patched up any serious bleeding. He had been stable and received a transfusion from a supposedly matching donor, yet he was clearly drained and none of the blood was on the floor, nor had it accumulated within his body cavities. Something was terribly wrong. He's moving. Luis let out in a shaky voice. Sure enough, Jordan's fingers and toes appeared to be twitching, flexing as if something gently tugged on his tendons. The skin around his shoulders bulged slightly before suddenly tearing open in a bloodless wound. Small tendrils shot out, further tearing apart Jordan's body. What the fuck is that? Louise asked in shock. It only then dawned on me why the creature had decided to leave Jordan alive. His survival had not been due to Slayton's clever distraction, but rather a plan for escape. It had shredded a part of itself, allowing it to slowly feed on Jordan's body as it grew within, only to emerge once it was strong enough. We have to seal this room, I warned, but it was already too late. Jordan's body was torn apart by the emerging creature. His abdominal and chest cavity tore themselves open, seemingly rid of any organs, all consumed by the creature. Even with the first creature locked up, we hadn't felt safe. But with the emergence of a second, our demise was quickly becoming an absolute certainty. Stand back, Antonov ordered, pushing us aside as he pointed the flamethrower at the creature. With zero hesitation, he fired upon Jordan's dead body, still occupied by the alien. It shrieked as it burned, retracting its limbs back into Jordan's body in an attempt at shielding itself. Get out of here, he demanded. For a moment, the fire seemed to be working, or at the very least, it was keeping the beast at bay. Most of the crew retreated back to the bridge, ready to seal themselves in. Only Antonov and I remained behind. He kept unleashing hellfire upon the thing as I stood by and watched. It's time to go, I said. He slowly made his way towards the door not letting go of the trigger for even a second. Come on, I continued. Then, as Jordan's body had been reduced to a pile of charcoal, a flaming lump of flesh shot itself out of the corpse in Antonov's direction. He just about dodged it, tossing his empty flamethrower at it as a last resort. Run! I yelled, pulling Antonov with me. We made our way back to the bridge, chased by the deformed creature. The fire had left a charred layer on its surface but it seemed to shed the thin layer of damaged skin. As we reached the bridge, Luis already held a hand on the door, ready to close it as soon as we entered. Hurry! He yelled as he noticed the creature pulling after us. We practically dove inside, just in time for Luis to close the door behind us. While it effectively kept the monstrosity out, it also meant we were trapped. It won't fucking die! Antonov let out. Now it got Jordan too! Before we could even start to mourn his loss, or even try to comprehend what we'd just witnessed. Sandra notified us of a message we'd received from ground control. I think you should listen, she said somberly. It would be the first time we heard from Earth since our mission started on Psyche 16. Antonov walked over to the control panel, letting his finger nervously hover over the button for a moment before finally playing the message. 
Helios 3, this is ground control. Message confirmed. Protocol will follow. A brief pause was heard as the actual response was replaced by pre-recorded instructions on how to deal with a potential biological contamination of extraterrestrial origin. If the contaminant has been safely contained, landing coordinates will be sent. You will be instructed to proceed to a designated site without delay. Do not attempt any examination of the aforementioned contaminant. Crew is to be isolated upon landing in any designated chamber for no less than 14 days. It was an unhelpful suggestion. One already attempted and failed, but the message wasn't over yet. If the contaminant cannot be contained, terminal sterilization of all sectors will be initiated. All remaining crew should proceed to protection chambers. Following sterilization, remote-assisted autopilot will be activated. Crew is to remain within the protection chambers upon return to Earth, where a strike team will determine which further action is required. If terminal sterilization is unable to remove the threat, the Iphigenia protocol is recommended as a last resort. Urgent response required to determine the operational status of the crew. That marked the end of the message. The first two suggestions had already been tried, both futile attempts at halting the invader. But the third, final option remained unknown to most of the crew, who turned to a pale-looking Antonov for answers. What's the Iphigenia protocol? Sandra asked. I am not at liberty to say, he explained, but it won't be necessary. Won't be necessary? Do you have any other suggestions? I chimed in. He carefully mulled over his next words, knowing they'd be met with resistance. We will not bring these things back to Earth, he said before pausing, still not sure whether he'd even suggest his next idea. But with all other hopes stripped away, even ludicrous strategies had to be considered. We will vent them into space, he finally said. How? They're not exactly hanging around inside the airlocks. We go to the hangar, turn the drill on the doors and break them open, continued. His logic wasn't faulty. The hangar doors were indeed large enough to cause a rapid depressurization if broken, causing any sector not on lockdown to be absolutely vented. Essentially, it would suck anything that wasn't bolted to the floor into space. It would most definitely take the creatures with it, but in the process, there was a high chance we'd all die. Even in the unlikely event that we survived, there was no guarantee that the life support systems could produce enough oxygen to keep the survivors alive. It's insane, Leonard said. Do you have any better ideas? Antonov asked. How about you tell us about this Iphigenia protocol? He paused. A measure of last resort, destroying Helios. We looked at each other for a moment, knowing full well that it might be our only option, but none of us were ready to admit defeat. I vote for Antonov's idea, I said, breaking the silence. Yeah. Let's not die today, Sandra chimed in. Antonov's plan was simple enough in nature, though incredibly dangerous. We'd put the bridge into lockdown, allowing it to remain pressurized as the rest of the ship got vented. The laboratory would be unlocked, then the drills would be put to work on the doors while the crew suited up and fastened themselves within the strapped down vehicles, praying that they would remain firmly in place. If we got lucky, the two invaders would be sucked out into space leaving us as the only biological beings on Helios. Our ship would be severely damaged, but safe. 
Louise and Avil will remain on the bridge in case something happens to the rest of us, Antonov said. We need someone to keep in contact with ground control and take care of the landing. I glanced over at Leonard, who looked pale as a sheet. Weak after donating blood to Jordan, he was in no condition to help blow up the hangar doors. Leonard stays. I'll take his place, I half asked, half stated. Antonov looked over our sick crewmate, quickly agreeing. What do we do with the second creature? Sandra asked. We can't stop it, but we can slow it down with our weapons. What's important is that at least one of us makes it to the other hangar to start the drill. After that, nothing matters. We nodded in agreement. Luis, can you open the laboratory door remotely on my command? Antonov asked. Not open, but I can unlock it. Should be enough if you manage to break the hangar door. Then let us not waste time standing here. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you sometimes feel like you need to get something off your chest? Everyone, including myself, carries around stress, and sometimes it builds up until it feels like you might burst. That's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapy is a safe space to talk through what's on your mind and figure out how to move forward. With BetterHelp, you can finally get things off your chest and start working through what's weighing you down. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed for convenience and flexibility to make it easy to fit your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and start your sessions. If your therapist isn't a perfect fit, you can easily switch at no additional charge. So why not give it a try? Therapy offers broad benefits, from reducing stress to gaining new insights. Take that step with BetterHelp and feel the relief. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DNS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DNS. The creature did not linger outside the door and was also not visible on any of the cameras. We assumed it was hiding in ventilation shafts or unmonitored closets, ready to jump and strike as we passed. Nevertheless, even without eyes on our enemy, we exited the safety of the bridge and made quick progress in the direction of the hangar. What if it doesn't work? Sandra asked. It will, Antonov stated with as much confidence as he could muster. We passed the locked laboratory doors, still not seeing the first creature trapped within. There is that fucker, Antonov mumbled. It was a question that didn't need much time to be answered, as we heard thumps coming from the ventilation shaft above us. I raised my rifle, but Antonov quickly ordered us to hold our fire. We didn't feel confident that bullets would maim the thing, so letting it struggle to find its way out would be a better plan. But with the knowledge of the monster's location, we didn't have to check every corner in fear of being jumped. We just rushed to the hangar, not wasting any valuable time. We quickly grabbed the IEVA suits, and Antonov kept an eye out for the alien as Sandra and I put them on. All right, I'm suited up. Your turn, Commander, I said before redirecting my attention to Luis. How's it going back at the bridge? I asked via the suit's radio. I'm ready to unlock the laboratory door. Leonard isn't looking too good, though. He's in pain. The last statement stuck with me. Feeling weak after donating blood wasn't abnormal, but pain wasn't one of the common symptoms. Before I could dig any deeper into the situation at the bridge, we were interrupted by a falling ventilation panel. We all turned our attention towards it, just in time to see the creature lower itself onto the ground. There! 
Sandra yelled, immediately firing upon it. A few of the rounds hit it, tearing into the flesh, even severing one of its many limbs. It shrieked in agony, and while it slowed it down, the damage wasn't substantial enough to completely stop it. Activate the drills, now! Antonov ordered. You're not suited up, I argued. There's no time, do it now! He yelled. Without further hesitation, Sandra activated the drills, which in turn started digging into the heavy door shielding us from outer space. They were efficient, but the metal was thick. It would take time to completely break through. Still, the damage was noted by loud alarms blaring throughout the ship, warning us of the purposely formed hull breach. Within less than a minute, the drills would get through, blowing the doors open. Get suited up, Commander! I demanded as I attempted to aid Antonov. No, get to the vehicles, he said as he grabbed my weapon, kicking me in the guts to show that he'd absolutely not accept my assistance. Go! Knowing I could do nothing to help, I just watched as Antonov walked towards the creature, constantly firing upon it with my stolen weapon. I just lay on my back in shock, prompting Sandra to pull me towards the vehicles, just barely making our way there as we heard the hull of Helios finally pop. Antonov used the last second of our intact atmosphere to throw himself at the creature, distracting it for a mere instant. Just then, the drills breached completely into a vacuum, causing a massive hole between the inside and outside of Helios. Antonov and the creature lay entangled on the ground and were the first two to be sucked into space. He had given his life to save us. Luis, open the doors. I yelled into the radio. You got it. Both drills and our weapons got sucked outside. We held onto the vehicles, terrified that the straps might fail. Then we heard a shriek, dulled by the quickly vanishing atmosphere. As the first monster got pulled into the hangar, it flailed its limbs about, desperately trying to remain on board. One of them reached out for the vehicle and grabbed onto Sandra where she sat. It managed to wrap around her arm, digging its way into her flesh. She groaned in pain, trying to rip it away but her yells of agony quickly vanished as her life-protecting suit had been punctured, letting all oxygen escape through the hull. She gave me one final look before unbuckling herself from the vehicle, letting herself get sucked out with the creature in a final act of defiance. I remained seated in the vehicle in shock, waiting for the pressure to reach an equilibrium with the vacuum outside. Only then could I move around Helios freely and regroup with the last two survivors on board the ship. Once all oxygen had been removed, an eerie silence fell upon the ship. The beeps, engines, and pipes that had produced a familiar atmosphere inside were masked behind the vacuum. I unbuckled myself from the vehicle and walked over to the breached hull, wondering if I would see my friends floating around outside. But there was nothing to be seen. Anything that had been sucked out was also propelled away in the opposite direction, destined to spend the rest of eternity in the void. I'm sorry, I mumbled to myself as I turned to head towards the bridge. It's done, I said somberly over the radio. No response. Luis, you hear me? I asked again. Nothing. The radio was working just fine. They'd long since been fixed by our crew, so a communication error wasn't the reason for their silence. I rushed back to their location, worried that the bridge had depressurized despite being sealed off. If the bridge was damaged, there would be no way for the life support systems to establish a safe zone within the ship. Leonard? Louise? Please talk to me. I called out as I ran. A thought was emerging from the back of my mind 
a single sentence Luis had spoken before we activated the drills. He's in pain. The thought was replaced by a horrific realization. Leonard had given blood to Jordan. He had been directly connected to him. If Jordan was infected by that thing, Leonard might be as well. Then I reached the bridge, only separated by a thick pane of polycarbonate glass door. On the other side, I found Luis's mangled body next to Leonard, who appeared to have been torn apart from the inside, rid of any blood and organs, eaten alive. On the consoles rested a third, indestructible creature, waiting for me to open the doors. Both of them were dead, leaving me as the last survivor on board Helios, with no chance to fight back. Venting the bridge wouldn't cause enough pressure to eject them into space, nor would it kill the monstrosity. Stuck in a vacuum with rapidly diminishing oxygen supplies within my suit, I returned to the hangar to record this message. I cannot establish contact with ground control without access to the bridge, so I can't initiate the Iphigenia protocol to end this suffering. I just hope they figure out that something up here has gone terribly wrong. As I speak these words, I'm looking out at the stars filling the universe, as I often did as a child, wondering what kind of life exists among them. Are they like us? with dreams, plans, and hopes? Are they friendly, looking to build a society among the stars? Or would they rather see us wiped from the universe's existence?